Welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, where we host conversations with leading experts, well-known thinkers, and current practitioners to talk about the best ways to foster grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated discipleship to teenagers. I'm your host, Davis Lacey, and today's conversation is all about apologetics, specifically understanding the challenges to the faith that students may face after they graduate from high school and using that understanding to tweak the ways we minister to them here and now. I have the privilege of being joined by Kevin Twitt on this episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, and he is going to share with us, you know, he's no stranger to this question. In his life and in his ministry, he's used to dealing with this hands-on. I'm excited to introduce you to him today. Kevin, welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so many of our listeners will know your name from your involvement with a group Indelible Grace Music, but you're also a present-day college campus minister. Tell us a little bit about how you got into college campus ministry and where you're presently ministering and how long you've been doing ministry to college students. Yeah, so uh, I got converted in high school uh, through Young Life and went off to a music school in Boston called Berkeley College of Music. Um, it was while I was up there, I was involved in various different campus ministries, but eventually my senior year of college, I'd met a couple other Christians on my campus, and we started a Christian fellowship at Berkeley, which still exists up there. And that is kind of my first taste of ministry. We had a local pastor that would help teach a Bible study for that first year, but then he got called to another state, and everybody kind of looked at me and was like, well, you're getting ready to graduate. Why don't you stick around and take over teaching the Bible study. So at that point, I just started like going and finding books and trying to read and trying to learn kind of on my own. <laughs> I had a lot of crazy things that I read that I taught people. And then the next week I'd read a different book and be like, wait, hold on. You know, I don't think that was right. And let's try this again. Um, so it was a little trial by error, but it was also a great time of interacting with people. I mean, Boston wasn't a very Christianized area, especially back then in the 80s. And uh, I worked in the recording studios uh, at the school and basically just kind of hung in my office late at night, six at night to four in the morning and interacted with students about all kinds of things. Um, then I moved to Nashville, uh, worked in the music business for a while. Um, but I, I kept, you know, kind of looking back to that time and in ministry and college. And eventually when my church, Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, wanted to start a college Sunday school class, uh, I offered to help out with that. And after a couple of years of playing music and doing that Sunday school class, it really, the Sunday school class and working with the college students really drew me more and more into that. I became convinced that the local church is really primarily where God is building his kingdom and how he's building his kingdom. And I wanted to be part of that. So I went off to seminary, Covenant Theological Seminary in 92, graduated in 95, and came back to Nashville. That's when we started RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, at Belmont, and I've been doing that there at Belmont ever since, 25 years now. 25 years. Man, that's amazing. What faithfulness of Jesus, and, and man, we're so thankful for your faithfulness to that ministry there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so I'd love for you, and, and, and you have, obviously, over 25 years, you've seen different generations and different challenges, different trends. I'd love for you to describe maybe some of the challenges to faith, which college students faced when you first began as an RUF campus minister. And then over the course of 25 years, I'd love for you to talk us through how 
those challenges have evolved or remained the same? Like what's different and what's the same in terms of challenges and apologetics question from when you started and, and now 25 years later as you're continuing your ministry through RUF? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this and uh, I really do think when I started in the 80s, there were a lot more challenges to faith that came from the hard sciences. Um, you know, a lot of qu questions about creation versus evolution, um, you, know, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, whereas today, the challenges tend to come more from the social sciences. They tend to come from not so much the Bible's teaching on like creation and those sorts of things, but it's moral teaching um, on things like sexuality and what it means to be human. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, some of the, the challenges have shifted. And um, I also think one of the noticeable differences um, in the last 10, 15 years is just the overwhelming number of my students that are dealing with anxiety uh, disorders. Um, 25 years ago, there were, I feel like there was more depression, and now there's more anxiety. Um, I think, you know, there, it, it's got to be something in the cultural air, um, so to speak. I know David Brooks talked about it in his book, Bobos in Paradise, about how for a lot of students today, life is a continual aptitude test. Um, he talks about the meritocracy and the way that's affected students, and then, of course, social media um, and just the idea that they're kind of always on, always having to make a good impression. Those are really um, kind of things that are always uh, going on. Because honestly, you know, a lot of uh, apologetics, in my experience, um, doesn't so much come out of, you know, kind of books that students have read. A lot of it comes out of their story. And um, I, I think it's always important when people are asking questions or even kind of throwing up ideas to try to keep God at bay, uh, a lot of times there's a story behind that. And it can be real easy to just want to slice and dice their arguments and miss the person and the story behind it. Man, that's really helpful <laughs> and convicting um, both at the same time. And I think that's a great segue into the next question that I wanted to ask you, which, which just deals with, especially for students who are coming out of a church background, right? We hear yeah. about the statistics and they're anywhere from... Um, you know, 50% to 75% of students who grow up in church and graduate from high school then, you know, leave the faith at some point during their, uh, their college or their, their years post-high school graduation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've encountered that as, as a campus minister, and I'd love for you to help us make suggestions about some of those things that have come up in their stories that you say, oh, these are trends, and this might be really helpful to encourage youth ministers now shepherding middle school and high school students. How might we be able to stop that cycle or, or flip that statistic, as we say at Rooted? I don't know about flipping the statistic. I, I'll tell you where I think we should direct our efforts. Um, I think it, it does start in youth ministry, um, particularly youth ministries that focus on um, entertainment cokes and jokes, as we say, um, and thinking that as long as students are excited about Jesus, that that will kind of keep them holding on for the long term. Um, I think what happens in college is they get a lot of new meta narratives to maybe explain feelings that they've had 
Um, and if they don't have some kind of understanding of why they believe what they believe, I think they're pretty vulnerable. Um, if, if basically, you know, if you ask them, you know, are you a Christian? And it's because they kind of walked an aisle at a, at a meeting or a youth camp, and then they've never really been discipled. Um, I think they're, I think they're pretty vulnerable to kind of the next kind of wave of emotion and, uh, and whatnot. Um, so, so I think, you know, in RUF, one of the things that we really want to be known for is the ministry that takes the Bible seriously and that takes people's questions seriously and that we provide a space for students to, to ask those questions. I find I'm regularly trying to, um, trying to, to, to say, you know, Christians aren't afraid of questions. Um, I mean, when Mary is told she's going to have a baby, the first thing she says is, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. Um, and God doesn't shame us for our questions. Um, he really wants us to bring those things to him. And we want to make church a place where we say that those things are going to be taken seriously. That doesn't mean we have a, a nice, easy answer um, for some of the questions, certainly like suffering and whatnot. But I think the Bible does give the kind of answers that can keep us um, sticking close to Jesus. Um, I think a lot of times, too, like maybe the way students were taught about Christianity um, sets them up for a fall. And by that, I mean, sometimes people say that, you know, kind of whether they mean to or not, I think parents and, and youth pastors sometimes can give the impression that everything that we believe is equally clear and equally important. And when students kind of get out of that more sheltered environment and get off to college, and then they find that maybe there's other ways of looking at some of those issues, sometimes the, all the the all the doubts just kind of come flooding in. For instance, I had a, a student years and years ago who'd grown up in a Christian school and youth group and whatnot. And, you know, whether she'd been taught this explicitly or it was just implicit, she'd heard that Buddhists weren't, you know, were, were bad people and you don't want to, you don't want to be one. Um, she goes off to college in Boston and has a freshman roommate who's a Buddhist, who's a lovely person. And that just begins to sow the seeds of doubt of what else did my church teach me that maybe isn't true. At a place like Belmont, you know, it's a Christian university, but there's a lot of um, what I would say is more liberal theology um, taught in the in the Bible classes. And I find a lot of my students, even from good, solid Bible-believing churches, they don't really know much about liberal theology and the difference between, you know, what we believe, for instance, in the PCA, um, and probably what a lot of the rooted um, listeners believe about the Bible. Um, there was a a, conv a convocation event, which is kind of like a chapel uh, panel about the Bible the other day, or actually it was back in the spring at Belmont, and I was on the panel along with um, some professors, and one of the professors, you know, said his view of the Bible is that it is a, um, a record of what humans have thought as we've evolved this being that we call God, right? So he doesn't even believe that there's wow. this idea of revelation, but it's often taught to the students as um, as a historical approach rather than an approach that comes from some theological and philosophical presuppositions. So I find regularly I'm having to talk to students to name kind of what they're being taught. And I want them to know about those things. I want them to understand liberal theology, but also want them to understand that, um, that conservative Christians have thought about those same things and have some thoughts about those things. And I would hope that students would be educated in a way that they could 
kind of hear both sides and be able to wrestle with that. So I found that lately, like my students know more about Mormonism and Islam than they do about theological liberalism, but it's theological liberalism that is going to trip them up in a lot of their, a lot of their classes. Sure. Yeah. I even, um, I was exposed to that and, uh, succumbed to that during my college years. And it wasn't until I was in a, a conservative evangelical Bible believing seminary where I realized just like you talked about naming what I was taught and being able to say, Oh, those are the presuppositions there. And, and yeah. this is an alternative and this is really helpful. That's, that's, that's really helpful, Kevin. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that with us. And, yeah. and I appreciate too, you talking about a lot of times, especially from a church background, folks who have crisis of faith, it, 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 you know, regardless of what they're pointing to, a lot of times there is an underlying personal narrative or personal experience, personal story that's really driving that doubt or, or yeah. that departure. And it's good to get to the person um, yeah. and to figure Are out really what's going on. Are you familiar with the concept of defeater beliefs? I'm not. No, sir. Okay. Maybe I should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we'd love I that. I first heard that from Tim Keller. And um, it, what it, it, a defeater belief is basically a belief that if you hold it, it makes other truth claims not even worth considering. So it'd be like if I said, you know, I'm looking out my window from my office here, and across the street there's a fire-breathing dragon. And you're not going to ask me questions about that truth claim. You're not going to ask me, are you sure? You know, what color is it? Um, because you have a defeater belief about fire-breathing dragons. And for a lot of um, our students, what we need to understand is that there are a lot of defeater beliefs. Um, Keller says every culture has them, and they actually are different um, from one culture to another. So for instance, in the days of the Bible, if you didn't believe in a God who would make all things right and bring justice, that would have been seen as, as a real barrier to embracing the Judeo-Christian understanding of God. When our day, of course, for many students, the idea that God is a God of justice is like something they could never embrace. But it's helpful to kind of let them see that some of these defeater beliefs are culturally relative. It's a great chapter in G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy on the Paradoxes of Christianity, where he kind of points that out. Um, but it's good, like these defeater beliefs aren't just affecting non-Christians, they're affecting our students as well. And of course, the, the biggest one in our day um, has to do with, you know, gay marriage and what about people, you know, SSA and all that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't matter for a lot of our students whether Christianity is true or Jesus rose from the dead. If Christians hate gay people, then they're not interested. And the way you deal with that is not by, you know, Bible passages, right? There's always going to be a, an aspect of that apologetic that has to be kind of lived out in a way that you're undermining the stereotype that people have of Christianity. Had a professor in seminary would send us out to do hospital counseling. Uh, it was a great class in seminary, and he would always send us out with this little piece of advice. Just try to make it easier for the next Christian they meet. Wow. And I think so often we try to kind of close the sale and manipulate people, and we end up maybe winning the battle but losing the war because we feed into that defeater belief that Christians just want to be right and they don't want to listen. Um, so I, I found, you know, you know, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, is really helpful. I, I tell every parent I get to meet with, that's the book to have your kids read before they go to college. But that's really a book that's for people that uh, basically are kindly disposed towards Christianity. 
um, but maybe need some shoring up of why we believe what we believe. The chapter on the Bible in there is really excellent, for instance. But he wrote another book that's actually a prequel, that is really where more of our students are today, called Making Sense of God. And that one is really for people who think that Christianity is not just a nice option that works for some people, but they, these are people that think Christianity is what's wrong with the world. And that's a different kind of apologetic. For um, sure. There for was sure. A, a, a meme going around. I, I think it was a, a sign that a couple ladies were holding up at the Women's March, at Trump's inauguration. Um, the sign said that if Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. So how wow. are you going to interact with those people? And I think for a lot of our students that are leaving the faith, they're, they're leaving the faith and going to that kind of place of not just Christianity works for some people, not for me, but they're feeling betrayed. They're feeling like, um, you know, Christianity is really what's wrong with the world. And I just have to say, you know, the political situation and, um, you know, the zeal for Trump and whatnot from a lot of their parents and grandparents. There, there's a lot of struggle with young people today trying to figure out, can Christianity make you actually love people different than you? Hmm. And, and um, so I think that's a big challenge right now. A huge challenge, but your advice was so simple yet so profound. Simply try to make it easier for the next Christian that they meet. Um, you, you painted a bleak picture there, but that advice for me is is something that's encouraging um there that's tangible that's a, a challenge for sure but it's straightforward and i really appreciate you articulating that for us yeah you, you know I, let me add one other thing yeah go There's for a it. guy steve garber i don't know you know if your uh, listeners have know his book um fabric of faithfulness but it's a profound book about how faith is formed during the university years and, and he said, basically, there's two key things that he's seen on the students that kind of hold on to their faith and even flourish. One is they have to have a theology big enough to account for the glory and the ruin. Um, the, a, a theology that helps you kind of look honestly at the world, uh, not pretend that everything's just fine or um, that things aren't as bad as they are. You have to be able to take an honest look at the world and yet still love the world. And for a lot of students, they really want to love the world, but they haven't had their idealism tempered yet. And we need to be able to, adults really need to be able to help them see how now that you've seen that the world is worse than you think, that actually trying to love people and care for people and deal with the problems of the world are much more difficult than you think. How can you still stay at it? And, um, and so he said one of the keys is finding mentors who've really kind of wrestled with that, with their own vocation and uh, this theology that's big enough to call us um, into bringing the kingdom into all areas of life and believing, you know, that our destination is not just to go float on a cloud one day, but for the new heavens and the new earth uh, to come down. And so all these areas are worthy of our, our working, but they're all going to be frustrating. And, and how to help students see that, okay, it is more frustrating than you probably thought it was when you were 16, um, 15, but now how are you going to stick at it? How are the things that break God's heart going to break your heart? How are the things that God loves and longs for going to become the things that you long for? 
Kevin, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, and um, I want to I want to get you to unpack that even more. You know, we've talked about some of the the bleak situations and the crises of faith, the hard questions, but I'm sure in your ministry you've also seen students who endure, who are challenged, who who have doubts, and and but yet persevere um, in in the faith through their college years. And you talked a little bit about having a theology that accounts for the glory and the ruin, but I'd also love for you to share what else have you seen in those students who don't leave the faith in their yeah. college years? Yeah. Like what, what common themes do you see there in terms of their development as disciples in their teenage years? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my work I've done uh, with hymns ties into this question, actually. Um, I think it's very important that in our worship and in our teaching, that we don't lie to students about what the normal Christian life feels like. And so I think it's really important that we sing songs about lament and suffering, that we talk about it um, all the time. I, I think that one of the things that becomes true of students that are going to persevere is kind of a sober realism. And um, a lot of that comes even from the songs that we sing, where you're kind of forming and shaping students to understand that the Christian life is hard, but it's it's worth living. Um, and I, I think that for a lot of students, you know, if they think that the Christian life always feels like flying high with Jesus, then when they don't feel that, um, it, it makes that experience even more um, detrimental, even more of a potential crisis of faith. The way I like to say it is if you misname normal, you really mess people up. Um, That's good. You know, like, for instance, you know, a student that's suffering with depression and thinks that they're the only one makes that even a more alienating, isolating, discouraging experience. And I, I think so often, you know, in the worship that we do, a lot of times I think we make students feel like everybody except them is just, you know, like I say, you know, feeling great all the time and wants to do nothing but but praise Jesus. And I think it's so important that we speak honestly about that. I think it's so important that parents talk honestly about their struggles and their doubts, um, because otherwise our students are going to feel like, you know, maybe faith is some kind of weird temperament thing that some people have, and I just don't have it. I think that's true for kids that grow up in the faith. I think it's true for people outside of the faith. They think of faith as this ability to see like the bright side of life, you know, always look on the sunny side. But my understanding, when you look at, at Hebrews um, chapter 11, I, I so wish people wouldn't uh, memorize that as the definition of faith because it's not everything the Bible has to say about faith. But it really there does not, the NIV translation is so unfortunate where it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Um, it, it, it makes faith seem like a feeling and a feeling of surety. When we, in actuality, if you look at Bill Lane's commentary in Hebrews, he points this out, that really what it's talking about there is that faith celebrates the title deed that we have, that it that looks forward to what's coming, and it brings that what's coming into the now, and, and it interprets even the right now in terms of, of what the already and the not yet. And so I'd like to say it this way, faith sees more, not less. Like Christians aren't asking people to turn off their eyes and shut their eyes to what's going on, shut their ears to what's going on. We're saying, open your eyes, open your ears, look around, see what's going on. But know 
that there's more than what you see and what you hear, that God is on the throne and that um, he does all things well. So, so I think, you know, it's important that we rightly describe what faith is and what it feels like. Man, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I jotted this down even as I was listening to you. If you misname normal, you really mess people up. Yeah. Um, I think that's, those are words to live by. They really yeah. are. And yeah. so whether it's in the songs that we sing or just in the way that we study the scriptures together. Oh, yeah, man, unpack, I'm a big fan of the Psalms. Right? Ab- yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I just got David Taylor's new book on the Psalms and using the Psalms to be able to talk to God about everything. What and is really the name of that book? That uh, so I'd love to know the name of that book, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, I hate here, if I put you on talking, the spot. I'll look it up on my phone. Because <laughs> it just released yesterday, um, he's really the one of the more profound thinkers on faith and the arts. Um, he's a professor at Fuller uh, down in Houston, and I will look it up. You know, this is a common experience for many youth ministers: is giving a talk and having the people they're talking with just look things up on their phones. So, uh, I'm, maybe maybe you've experienced that in college ministry as well. Yeah, here's a, here's what's called open and unafraid: the Psalms as a guide to life. And uh, it actually has a, a foreword by Bono, because David's the guy who put together that film with Bono and Eugene Peterson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of a continuation of some of that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kevin, this has been such a great conversation so far. I'd love to ask you um, just a couple of questions about you before I get to a last question related to apologetics. We've talked about books a little bit. What kind of books are you reading right now? Um, oh, and would you recommend them or not? <laughs> oh, so, man, I'm, I'm quite a book fan. I've got about six or 7,000 um, books, Amen. Uh, especially a lot of old hymnals. Um, I just got a new book by Sam Alberry. Do you know Sam? And I sure work? do, yeah. Yeah. And he's uh, in your neck of the God. woods now, right? What's that? He's in your neck of the woods now up in Nashville. He's like so literally in my neck of the woods because he literally moved in next door to me. What? Yeah, like literally is my next door neighbor now. Wow. I had him over for dinner once because then he had to go back to England and he hasn't moved, totally moved in yet, but I'm so looking forward to getting to know him. That's awesome. Um, But his new book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? uh, Even the way he asked that question is just a great kind of entry into how to think about these things. And, um, you know, the way to deal with defeater beliefs Keller talks about, and I think that you'll see this is what Sam's doing as well is not to like completely slice and dice this defeater belief, but to say, hold on, not so fast. We have to get students to doubt the common senseness of their defeater beliefs, because usually they haven't been argued into them. They usually have just kind of absorbed them. And there's usually more to the story. And part of our job is to kind of say not so fast and to kind of plant little seeds that maybe undermine the common senseness of that. And to that end, there's another book I always recommend to people called Six Modern Myths About Christianity and Western Civilization. It's an intervarsity book by a guy named Sampson. He's an English uh, sociology PhD. And I've been reading uh, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, Sam had mentioned that one to me, and I've picked that up. I've really enjoyed it. But actually, lately, I've been reading books about book collecting. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm really into. I'm usually reading a bunch of books at once. I've been reading Jamie Smith's On the Road of St. Augustine, which is incredible. I've been reading a book about Robert Johnson, the great blues guitarist called Up, Up, Up the Devil. And then I've been reading some books by a guy named Nicholas Basbanes on book collecting. And uh, I've been enjoying that. 
Awesome. Awesome. So you read books, you collect books, um, any other hobbies that are kind of, Oh, e- I don't have to would... do it as much lately, but I used to love disc golf. Yes. Yeah. And it, of course every youth pastor has to do disc golf, right? Especially, yeah. I mean, as a college campus minister, I feel like you've got to be able to hold your own. Yes. And then, uh, vinyl records. So, you know, I did go to a jazz school and played music a lot. And I've really, that's one of my big hobbies going to estate sales and looking for vinyl records. My son Cooper and I, he's a college sophomore. Um, we go around every summer and do hymns and stories shows where I'll kind of tell the stories and background of hymns and we'll sing them. And uh, we always go look for local donut shops and local vinyl record stores. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right, I've got to ask you this question as well. Okay. Um, and and you may be contractually obligated not to be able to say anything on this, ah. and if so that's fine. But I would, I would love an example that is safe for for our listening audience of one of the craziest things that you've ever seen a Belmont student do. Oh, yeah, safe for the listening audience. Um, well, I, I, a few years ago, um, you know, if you, if you go to a college campus, right, they're always doing tours, you know, and trying to give like a great kind of presentation of the school. And that was my, um, I've had uh, that a was lot my... of students over the years that have been part of that, giving yes. those tours. So, um, few years ago, I had um, one of my students was giving a tour to some prospective students and their parents, and they get to kind of this quad area, and all of a sudden, four of my other students um, came out from all corners and staged this massive lightsaber battle in the middle of the quad and, and videotaped it, and um, that, was, that, was pretty, that was pretty awesome. That's that's awesome. I uh, that was my on campus job when I was in college was to do those tours, and I never had that happen. Um, no, no, yeah. Can you imagine the, how mortified you'd be? Oh man. Yeah. I've, well, I've, I've had some crazy things happen that I probably shouldn't share on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. I've got some others, but yeah, but, that's yeah, exactly. That was I was like, that's good. That's crazy, and that was super safe. So I, I appreciate yeah. your discernment there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, Kevin, this has been so much fun speaking with you and, and having this conversation about apologetics. Um, the last question I've got for you just related to these questions um, has to do with one of Rooted's five pillars, sort of our core values, and that is partnering with parents. You know, apologetics and preparing our high school students to go and face challenges to the faith after they graduate, that isn't just a job for youth ministers. Um, yes. that's, that's something that we want to see happen in the church and also in the home. So on that note, how would you recommend parents being involved to help their children prepare to have their faith challenged after graduating from high school? Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, a lot of it depends on the dynamic of the, of the child and the parent and their relationship. I don't know if you've ever read Dan Allender's book on parenting teenagers, but he starts that book saying, talking about whose idols are really in the way. Mm. Um, I always like to think about that, but I think the thing I said before about students getting a more realistic picture of what the faith feels like, um, if there's a, a way to try to nurture your relationship with your child shifting as they go off to college um, to being a place where you're a safe person to, to bring questions and doubts. Um, I've seen some great examples of that. Even one student I know whose parents were missionaries and um, and he really walked away from the faith, but his dad was always a person um, that he could talk to about whatever questions he was wrestling with, whatever apologetic issues he had. And his dad worked hard at it. I mean, his his dad, you know, would go away and like, hey, let me, I'm not sure a great answer to that. Let me, let me look into that for you. Um, 
you know, it, it, if you can encourage the students to get involved in a ministry that really takes the Bible seriously, something like RUF or there's, there's others as well, um, I think that can be really helpful. Just knowing that um, it's not enough just for your students to, you know, to, to find like Christians, you know, that they can worship with, but they need to be able to really kind of wrestle with these questions. Because I find a lot of times students just kind of stuff their doubts and then they kind of come back at the most unopportune times, like when you're going through a trial and then you're raising the question of, well, how do we even know the Bible is true and it wasn't just written by men? Like you want to try and raise those questions and 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 dig into them on the front end. And then I'd say by every every kid before you send them off to college, the reason for God and making sense of God. I'm encouraged. I, so many Christian high school kids that I get have already read those books, and that's, I think, really helpful. Um, so, but I, I think just really try and listen to your kids and really hear the questions behind the questions. Dan Allender says there's, what, two questions that every student is asking. Um, do you love me? Am I loved? And can I do what I want? And it's so hard to answer both those questions correctly. Wow. Um, and it's hard to not just want to be buddy-buddy with your students, um, but at some point you do have to shift the way you relate to them as they're going through the college years, and that can be hard. Kevin, I think that's really helpful. Um, I appreciate that very much. I hope that the youth pastors who are listening who can can encourage and, and pass that along to parents uh, appropriately, and I hope that parents that are listening will be able to take that advice to heart. Um, yeah. And, can and I add I, one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know, you know, doing doing RUF and, uh, you know, we're on 160 campuses, so there's a lot of them around. Um, I always love it if I can hear about a student who's going to be coming um, sometime in the summer, um, because I would love to reach out to that student in the summer before they show up. And that welcome week is such a blur that if that's the time I'm first trying to reach out to the student and tell them a little bit about RUF and see if we can connect, um, it kind of gets lost in the in the shuffle or what we even call the Christian rush, where you've got all the different groups like trying to connect with these freshmen. I always love it if we can, um, you know, have some connection or even if we just know a student's coming, but the parents are like, I don't know if he's if my student is going to be interested in somebody reaching out to him. But even just to know that they're there and know that name, sometimes I can look them up on Facebook and see that they're friends with some of my other students and just kind of have them on the radar. That's fantastic. And so just as we as we tie a bow on this amazing conversation, if there's a parent or if there's a youth minister that wants to pass along um, a name of a student coming your way to Belmont yeah. uh, in Nashville, uh, where would you send them? How can they yeah. find out more about For, you and be actually, in touch? Anywhere we have an RUF, you can just go to ruf.org and you can look up where we have um, a work and then you can email um, somebody. We take that very seriously because we're an arm of the church and we really do care about, you know, covenant kids and, and caring for them. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I know that you've got plenty going on um, in, in this time of year. And so thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts here at Rooted for taking time and, and having this conversation with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, David. It's been, been a pleasure. Absolutely. And listeners, I hope that this conversation has been helpful for you. For more episodes of the Youth, the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, to learn more about Rooted's conferences and regional events, and for other grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources geared towards both youth ministers and parents, be sure to visit our website, 
www.rootedministry.com. On behalf of all of us here at Rooted, I'm Davis Lacey, and this has been an episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast.